So, hello and welcome to the First Time Finish podcast. How are you three doing today? Yeah, we're Very good, good, mate. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Sounds nice good. Nice. Yeah, I thought we'd, you might be hearing a very different voice over the airwaves, and that's because we have uh, we have a new member to introduce you to. So our, our compare and host of today is, uh, is, is George Hartley. Tell us a bit about yourself, George. Yeah, so, yeah, hi to all the listeners. I, yeah, I've come on to do a little bit of writing and, and help out on the podcast as well uh, for these guys. And my background is really in a mixture of things, football writing, I'd say, first and foremost. So I've done a little bit of work on a few different websites. And what else have I even done? I've got my own podcast as well, which is non-football related. But I guess it's going to be cool to, to combine those two things, the football writing and the podcasting, into a football podcast. So both things in one. So, yeah, I'm just really excited to be here and talk about the Europa League today. It's going to be a good one. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think... Yeah, sorry, Tom, go ahead. I was just going to say, feel free to, uh, feel free to drop a plug on your... Uh... On your other on your other podcast venture, do you want to use the opportunity? Oh yeah, 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 sure. So my podcast is called Stuff and Nonsense, and it's it's quite a laid back kind of. I don't know how to describe it. We take a random topic each week and talk about it. That nice little half half an hour, forty minute episode. So uh, quite easy to find. Just launched on YouTube as well. If you want to go and have a little look. So um, yeah, thanks in advance for that. And. We'll yep. get back to the football, yeah. We'll get back to the football. So we're going to be talking about last night's Europa League games. So we've got a few big ones, obviously, to go through. Manchester United took on AC Milan. And there's a few a few other games which, you know, had some some highlights that we want to touch on as well across the next uh, sort of 45 minutes to an hour or so. So um, the United-Milan game, I think, was probably the headline going into this. I saw a tweet about the... Um, the midfield uh, the last time that the two teams played each other. I think like Beckham, Pirlo and uh, Ronaldinho were all still there at that point. Uh, Ninad, I know you you watched this game. What were your kind of thoughts going into the game? Did it what, Was the outcome kind of similar to what you expected? Uh, honestly, um, I, th- I think so. I think so. Ultimately, um, I, I was hoping that we wouldn't concede. I was. I, w- I would have been okay with a one-man victory, but <laughs> Um, yeah, the, the last-minute equaliser sort of uh, was was disappointing because it's it's another goal that we've conceded from a set piece. Not uh, uh, not the greatest night of football, but yeah, it is what it is. I would say I watched the game. I would say it was probably deserved, uh, for yeah. just on the balance of play uh, and the way Milan were kind of cruelly taken, like. The referee, the VAR, whatever you want to call it, kind of um, took away a legitimate goal, really, from yeah. the looks of it. Yeah, I agree. I um, I completely agree, Ben. Um, honestly, um, I thought Milan looked better of the two teams on the night. Um, they were really aggressive uh, on the ball. Um, Dalo was it looked, looked really, really good, honestly, uh, on the overlap and swinging in those crosses. Kessier uh, was all over the park. Um, Rafa Leao, he, he looked good as well. I mean, we released an article on him today, and I was I was, I was happy to see he, had, he he did okay, even though he didn't score. Uh, you know, a legitimate goal, I would say. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, he was he was good as well. And then yeah, I think I think Milan can be really proud of uh, their display 
and deservedly got uh, came away with the point on uh, on the night. It was a game for the Ivorians because uh, hmm. you know Cassie was probably man of the match, but then on the other side. For United, it was a debut goal for a very special talent as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really, what a nice goal as well. You know, um, he completely caught Salamaka's off guard and then just ghosted in behind the low. Tomori's the only one watching him. And by the time he gets to the pass, what a pass from Bruno as well. It's yeah. too late already. And really, really difficult skill to execute. I remember I tweeted after he scored that goal that... Um, the header really reminded me of the sort of headers that Chicharito would score for us mm-hmm. back back in the day. Uh, and yeah, yeah, it was it was very Chicharito esque, and yeah, it was really exciting to see him play with confidence first and foremost because um, you, I mean, all of us have heard a lot of positive things about him. There's been so much talk and so much scouting done on him and what have you, and it was good to see him, you know, settle into the game in the short amount of time that he was on the pitch. So really, a big positive. Hopefully, there's you... more to come because I feel like there's uh, he, he's only played like about ten senior games. So I'd like to see more of him in senior football because that's how he's going to adjust to that level. Uh, but yeah, he looked he looked confident when he he came on. He didn't look out of place at all, even though he's kind of in stature is kind of small and diminutive. But I think. Uh, he kind of uh, stood his ground. But when United mm. actually, on the rare occasions United attacked, because it was it was rare that United had the ball yeah. in the final third. It was, yeah, they did. I mean, then I think I think after Ahmad came on and then Greenwood showed a little bit more impetus running in behind as well. I saw mm. a little bit uh, of difference in his uh, in his style of play uh, after the substitutions were made. All uh, you know, Shaw came on, then Brandon Williams came on, and then. Fred came on as well later on, and yeah, um, Ahmad was really good. And talking about another Ivorian who was really exceptional on the night, Eric Bai. I think Bai did an exceptional job on layout. Mm. He, yeah, yeah. Without him, it would, have been, it would have been really difficult, I think, yeah. uh, for United to contain layout um, if it wasn't for Bai. I think all mm. must have had it, for... had him in the back of his head for this game specifically. And yeah, uh, it was a good decision in the end to start him. For Milan as well, I was impressed with Brian Diaz in the first half. He yeah. Every time he had the ball, he, he was kind of someone who was going to do something when he had the ball. Uh, but we have to talk about the Maguire miss as well. We, we can't, we can't <laughs> not talk about that miss. <laughs> yeah, how, uh, I mean, there, were, there were a couple. There were a couple, yeah. I mean, Maguire's was... I think he just... I mean, he just went with it and he thought, you know what, it's going to go in the top of the net. We'll just, we'll just wing it and ultimately it didn't. Then there was James's miss as well, which is disappointing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there were a couple of sitters on the night and ultimately not a very productive uh, outing for United because we've made our task even more difficult on the away, away leg. And um, yeah. Uh, I, but you know what, I think, I think it should be okay in, in the second leg if we... Don't start with Matic and McTominay once again, because yeah. I I thought we looked quite stale on the ball, like you know, in terms of think, passing the ball forward, progressing vertically. Yeah. I think as well though, for Milan's perspective, I was impressed because they were missing a lot of key players: Chao Hanoglu, Hernandez, 
Ibrahimovic, Rebic, Benacer. Yeah, Benacer as well. So I I don't know if they're all going to be fit for the next leg, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see how United... Well, because United United were missing a few players as well, to be fair. Cavani, I think, was a big loss. Uh, Mm. He he definitely would have been putting the chances that James and (laughs) Maguire scuffed. So I think it's going to be a much more interesting second leg because the impetus is going to be on both teams as well to go through whereas this was just kind of like the precursor to it kind mm. of the two teams feeling each other out and that 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 way it felt like what 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 did you uh what did you think of uh of tamori's performance i thought it was i thought he played very well i i don't think the goal was his his error really i don't think that was on him i don't know why donnarumma was coming out so early uh no. but other than that lapse he had a very good performance and uh I think if Milan do get him for 25 million, that's going to be a bargain. That's going to be a steal. Yeah, definitely. I think his his transfer to Milan was the talk of the January window, pretty much. And you can see why he was he was really good, um, commanding in his display at the back. And honestly, uh, if Milan do end up getting him, bargain of one of the bargains of the summer, summer window for me for sure. Yeah. So I don't know whether that was the headline result of um last night but certainly the headline game yeah ben obviously i I know that you watched that one as well um obviously both collaborating there on some some really good uh analysis of that game what was the the other game that you that either of you two looked at really i know that the arsenal game um you both had a little look at the arsenal game Uh, yeah uh, so arsenal olympiacos um i think a few really good moments in in that game as well odegaard goal obviously the highlight of that game Incredible strike of of his left foot into the top corner. Superb goal, really. And then I think Arsenal were okay for most part. That one back pass from Daniel Ceballos, uh, you know, that that was one error, uh, which is classic Arsenal. I, I would say sometimes, uh, you know. But you know, I, I think I think there were a lot of positives to take um, on the night for Mikel Arteta. Uh, they played out from the back really, really well. They looked confident on the ball for most part and yeah, scored some really exceptional goals. I think from an Olympiakos perspective, one player who I still don't understand how he's still in Greece is Maddy Kamara. He won mm-hmm. 100% of his defensive duels. I think he got four interceptions and made eight recoveries. And uh, I think he's one of those players who's going to probably be moving on in the summer and he could be a really good defensive midfield option for... Uh, a club in any of the top five leagues really cheap bargain really yeah certainly i can see that i was, I was just gonna say what did you um from from the bits i watched i i was shocked not shocked so much but just what like, what, what do you guys think has happened to danny sabios because seemingly every time i watch him he just seems to be an a calamity like his, yeah despite all the things that were, could have been leveled at him they didn't do enough he, he wasn't creative enough or he wasn't incisive enough or he didn't contribute defensively enough the one thing he always was was completely sound on on the ball and in possession and yet this season he seems to have even lost like even lost that i don't know what you what you guys think about yeah i don't know i don't know if it's a confidence thing i don't know if there's there's elements of that um or whether it's something kind of tactically that, that Arteta hasn't worked on with him, that he doesn't quite fit exactly uh, or he's not playing the role necessarily that um, Arteta wants him to play in. And 
obviously we've seen players like Erdegaard come in. Emil Smith Rowe's been been performing pretty well at, for for large chunks of the season, and then defensively he seems pretty kind of sussed out on like what players he wants he wants to play in a more defensive kind of defensive mid uh, defensive minded midfield kind of option. So I don't know whether he he just doesn't seem to kind of have a place at the minute. He seems to kind of I don't think he's been able to get a rhythm into his play. I know that's quite a kind of maybe slightly cliche thing to say, but sometimes I think it can be as simple as that. I don't know what what Ben or Ninad like think about that. I just don't think the number eight is necessary his role. I, I always mm. see him as a number ten, uh, and he came on for Thomas Party, and there's a big difference between those two players. Yeah, uh, in terms of the role they're expected to play, so. Yeah, I think it's just a bit strange that Arteta keeps persisting with him as a number eight because I don't think he's a he's that type of player at all. See, I, I completely agree with George and what, what Ben said that um, Arteta sees him in a kind of... Uh, Arteta sees him for something that he isn't necessarily and he doesn't exactly fit in the system. And when you fit him alongside what Thomas Partey offers to the team, alongside Granit Shakhtar, and what... He, you know, Dice Bios offers, which is obviously good, but what party offers is better. And that is why Arsenal paid the money that they did for him. And ultimately, for all the good good that Sabayos does, it's not what Arsenal needs, I think, in a way. You know, he's not a bad player. There's there's really no there's no doubt about that. And what George said there, you know, he needs he needs more match time for sure. But if it's in this Arsenal team, I'm not sure. I think he's, he's better off leaving at the end of the season and finding maybe regular game time in La Liga. Um, you know, maybe that could be uh, the next step for him um, if he wants to, you know, fight for a place in the Spanish national team in the coming uh, coming seasons. Yeah, I I, th- I think that Arsenal fans were um, excited at the prospect of Partey coming in because they thought because it would seem that Partey would be the defensive protector and that would enable Sabayos to play more as a more as a uh, not so much as a 10 but just more of a progressive member of that double pivot um, and in truth I think it's just that Partey is a better ball progressor he's a better mm-hmm. passer than Sabayos and he's obviously a better defender than him and then I, I just don't think I, I just think I just think they don't compare favorably when particularly when Sabas is replacing Partey. I think I just don't think they they compare favorably really. Yeah, you definitely can't like they're, they're not like for like. You can't just do like a straight swap for one or the other. Like mm-hmm. as you said, they are yeah totally different players. And yeah, I think Ninad's right in terms of I can see Sabas leaving and becoming, you know, fulfilling expectations in La Liga. I think La Liga is kind of his sort of home, I think that's where he's going to excel. I don't know what club that would be at necessarily, but I think he, he deserves the opportunity to go and kind of prove himself again. To talk about another uh, positive of the night, I think Gabriel's goal was exceptional. It mm. was incredibly difficult to execute what he did, you know, spinning his body like that and then just planting that header at the far post. Really, really good. And he had a good outing as well. That, that game seemed to be... It kind of went the way that I expected it to uh, to go. I've not actually been able to see the highlights yet, but from what you guys are saying, from what I've seen in the reports and everything, uh, it does look like that kind of went the direction we expected. Um, ben, what were the games that you that you were watching? I know you watched a few. Uh, uh, what what happened in those games? So I watched uh, Slavia versus Rangers. 
which was a uh, almost a uh, battle of the Romanians in the end. Uh, Nikolai uh, yeah. Stanchu uh, scored an amazing goal in the opening ten minutes. I think mm. it was uh, from about twenty five yards out. Alan McGregor had no chance. Top corner. I really recommend people watch that goal. And then, um, yeah, Rangers did well to not kind of like lose their heads because in the opening 20, 25 minutes, they produced nothing uh, going forwards. Uh, Slavia were very good defensively, like they were against Leicester. Uh, but then uh, Rangers came back to it. Ianis uh, Hadji got the assist, so another Romanian. It was uh, yeah. good, good work from him, uh, running down, very persistent to recover that ball and put it in for Philip Hallander. And uh, yeah, I think I was I was watching the game with a keen eye on a couple of young players, uh, uh, but particularly Abdelashima, who didn't have the best of games. He played in three, literally every single front three position throughout the game. So he played as a, started the game as a right winger, uh, moved to the left wing, and then also played as the sole striker. And um, he, his, his energy was always there, but I think his end product uh, in that game kind of was kind of lacking. There's two times when he went down the left and uh, absolutely skinned all the players. He, he had a, probably like a heart, like a 30, 40 yard run. But then he literally kicked the ball out of the stadium both times for his crosses. Uh, <laughs> So it's kind of disappointed with his end product, but I mean, I'm sure he just had a bad game because his track record is pretty good when it comes to end product. Just yeah. I don't think that was his game. But uh, another youngster that I looked at was uh, David Zima, who's a, a Slavia centre back. Uh, he, he impressed me a lot. I think he's he's one who stood out against uh, Leicester, and again. Today, you know, he had he was tasked with a lot of defensive duties. He he won eight out of his eleven defensive duels, four out of his five uh, aerial duels, uh, won four loose balls. Um, I think he made seven interceptions and sixteen recoveries, as well as two clearances. So yeah, he just had a really standout game for Slavia, and uh, I think he was it was it was really the defense that was the highlight. Uh, for me in, in that game the defenders and then uh, I think the highlight of the match the moment of the match was that Alan McGregor save and again if people haven't seen that already I highly recommend that they do because oh my word 39 years of age and I think that's probably one of the best saves I've ever seen um, it was it was remarkable and it was in the final minute of the match I thought Slavia just nicked it. Uh, yeah. But no, uh, it's an incredible save. He still got it. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think it's a good result for Rangers as well um, because they've already done something that Leicester weren't able to do and that's score against Slavia. So that's true. The away goal, I think, is going to be crucial for them going forward. Yeah, for sure. I remember seeing the um, the highlights, uh, the kind of extended highlights of Rangers in the round of 32 against Antwerp and how mad that game was. And they're just like, they seem to be a really exciting team to watch at the minute, Rangers. And mm. obviously they've absolutely, well, they've, they've gone like 
they've already won the Scottish Premiership, which is not surprising given the the season that they've had over there. But yeah, like Rangers, the the number of players they have in their squad, like creative players, number of strikers who score a ridiculous number of goals. Obviously, in Scottish football, things don't necessarily translate, but the way that they've been able to kind of that Gerard's kind of been able to to get them to kind of transfer some of those skills across the Europa League, I think it's been really really good. And obviously, defensively. Areas I think need to be improved, but overall, for me, Rangers have been really exciting to watch. And obviously, there's all this talk now of Steven Gerrard, uh, you know, going to Liverpool. Um, I've had a little bit of talk about that, but I think Klopp would have something to say about that. I don't think his his job's done at Liverpool at all. So, um, no, absolutely not. No, <laughs> he's got a lot it's longer like, to yeah bring things back around again. I would have thought, but yeah, that sounds like a really exciting game. I'm I'm gonna to have to watch the highlights of that one. Yeah, another player I was impressed with is Joe Reba. I think he was he was very oh, good yeah. again. It's just he's always fun to watch. Uh, he, he just loves to dribble, and I love those players. And once again, he he brought those dribbles out, and uh, he was probably the Rangers' biggest creative outlet um, in the game. Uh, but. Uh, for the first time, I was actually impressed with Rangers' as defending as well. Um, mm. the, I don't think the defence, uh, you know, the the goal that they conceded was not on them. And they dealt with uh, Slavia's threats going forward pretty well. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was actually pleasantly surprised by how well they defended. Yeah, I know Connor Goldson, there's been uh, a lot of talk about his performances recently as well. And obviously, Holanda, mm. another defender, got, got the goal there for them. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was, they were, they were both really good. Uh, Abdalashima, when he played as the number nine, didn't really get a look in uh, towards mm. that game. And uh, I think uh, the young player at left back, uh, I'm just trying to remember his name, uh, sorry, at right back, Nathan Patterson. Uh, he had a very good game too. Uh, didn't put a foot wrong. Was probably one of the best defenders as well in the game. Mm. Uh, and uh, at, at some points during the, the second half, he was going up against Abdalashima, who's Slavia's biggest threat, and he dealt with it really well. Yeah, Abdalashima is not an easy guy to to contend with. I guess we've mm, spoken yeah. about him. I know that us four have spoken to spoken about him quite a bit especially on the Twitter DMs and everything as well. But um, what was the other game? Did you focus on another game as well, alongside the, the Slavia game? Yeah, I watched yeah. Granada, Granada versus Walder. Uh, and mm. uh, it was an interesting game. Um, Granada, uh, because of suspensions and injuries, only had one senior player on the bench, uh, an That's outfield tough. player, uh, Jesus Vallejo. Uh, the rest, uh, there was... Altogether, I think there was four outfield players. The rest of the three were academy players. So, yeah, before the game, there was a lot of doom and gloom uh, in Granada circles. But uh, they, they, were, they looked pretty comfortable. Uh, not Based on that performance, I'm, I'm, I don't really know how Mulder ever got to this stage and how they knocked out Hoffenheim. Uh, they, did, they didn't seem to... Uh, offer that much of a goal threat going forward. And um, although, then again, I think Mulder will be kind of kicking themselves because they made a few mistakes, uh, especially the first goal was kind of a defensive error. Uh, so 
It would it would have been I think a draw on that game would have been a fair result, but in the end it it turned out to be a two 0 win and that would be a really comfortable uh, lead to have going into the game and they'll they'll have more players available as well. Which is yeah, that's it's ideal for them going and not conceding any any away goals as well. They're in you know prime position there, Granada, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, I mean there were a fair few who managed to a fair few teams who managed to keep out their opposition and kind of strive and hopefully they'll be able to maintain that uh, that dominance and you know maybe wrap up. It basically feels like they've wrapped up the 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 tie like the, across the two legs. If you don't concede and you score two or three, it's mm. going to be very difficult for a team to come back with that. They, they are any... very experienced players as well. Uh... Yeah. The two goal scorers, I think, were well over 30, George Molina and uh, Roberto Soldado. So the oh, game yeah. for the oldies, and it, it kind of feels like one last hurrah for them in the Europa League. And uh, I, I think uh, that's how Granada sees it as well. Yeah, Spain has always been one of those those countries where like the veteran strikers seem to be able to flourish. Like They just seem to be too able to go on until like the age of 40, don't they? Like. Yeah. I remember like Castro, I think, still still doing it. And when like Aritz Adariz was about, you seem to be able to go on for, <laughs> for as long as they want, essentially. But um, I don't know if you have anything else to mention before I move on to, to mine, because I've got some some veteran players to talk about as well. Uh, sadly, I, I think from that, that <laughs> game really didn't have that many highlights. It, it, it really was a game where you could see Granada was just... just struggling to pull through it was one that they just wanted to get over and done with and Boulder just lacked the creativity to exploit uh, Granada's weaknesses mm. so there wasn't really that much to talk about aside from the goals Kennedy was Kennedy's always fun to watch I guess uh, yeah. but he is also a very frustrating player and <laughs> one can understand why he's not you know got to the potential that people kind of piped him up for yeah yeah true i don't know what the obviously a lot of expectations on a player like that coming through the way he did and um always showing those glimpses of what many people hoped he would become and yeah it's obviously got got them through in this game and i was saying about veterans uh in one of the games that i watched and they're premier league veterans actually so i one of the first game that I watched was Ajax taking on BSC Young Boys, which was a 3-0 victory in the end for Ajax. And the veterans I was talking about, three greats of the Premier League, Stecklenburg between the sticks for Ajax. I can't quite remember exactly how old he is now, but he's he's probably around 40. I don't think he can, to be fair. But... I don't, yeah, you're pr- probably right. And we also had two, one of them certainly not, a legend of the Premier League, but David Klaassen, uh, who had a superb game, and also Dusan Tadic, who continues to to amaze fans of Ajax and, and fans of the Eredivisie and, and European football. All three of them, well, I say all three of them had a decent game. Stecklenburg had literally nothing to do at all in that match. Um, and it was as convincing as it sounds, the 3-0 win. But it wasn't like that for the entirety of the game, I would say. In the first half, specifically the first sort of 20 to 25 minutes, Ajax did look very comfortable on the ball. You know, you can you can imagine that their passing uh, is very silky, very precise. They're, they're, they're very good at what they do. 
But when young boys got the ball and uh, more on the counter, they seem to look very, very dangerous. And, um, you know, their passing to their, into their strikers was uh, superb. And there are a few chances that they should really have made more of. I remember the ball going from midfield into Meshak Elia, who's a really exciting young player, uh, striker for, uh, he was part of the front two for young boys last night. And he was great running into the channels um, and, and you know, picking out, sorry, receiving those passes from midfield. I remember one time him moving out onto the left and uh, receiving a ball from midfield. And it's it was just the crossing or, or, or the last movement, that final movement that young boys were lacking. Because if they'd been able to score a goal in the first 20, 25 minutes, it may have been a slightly different game. But, you know, both of these are sides who are hugely dominant at the moment. Going into the game, um, Ajax were 19 games unbeaten, so 20 games unbeaten now. And also Gerardo Seoane, the BSE Young Boys manager, his side, um, I think, around 20 points clear at the top of the Swiss Super League. So both of them very dominant teams and, you know, destined for success in one way or another. But in the end, Ajax knew exactly what they were doing. So I was really impressed with Ajax's young players as well. So they played Anthony. And Anthony, from the start, looked very sharp. And he should have scored uh, quite early on in the game, actually. Anthony, I think it was... I'm not sure. I think it was in the first sort of 10 or 15 minutes he definitely should have scored. And, um, you know, efforts just being cancelled out by Lustenberger, who was the was a, a young boy's centre-back, and also Fiverr, who was their standing goalkeeper on the night. First half looked really, really strong actually. And yes, he went on to concede three, but he did look really, really brilliant in the first half. Urian Timber, who is a 19-year-old defender for Ajax, he just looked so good and so comfortable on the ball. And it's something that you would expect from from somebody who has, you know, that, that Ajax education and has come up through the ranks. His passing just looked so silky. Uh, he was moving forward and he, he started as a centre-back, but he was moving forward. And also Ryan Gravenberch as well, who's a player whose name has popped up so often. He just seemed to be everywhere. Um, and obviously he starts in that kind of quite deep midfield position, but he was he, he moved even deeper into sort of the defence area. And he also cropped up on the left wing at points. He, was just, he just seemed to be all over the place and could do literally whatever he wanted. Um, but yeah, one player that I was looking to see more of was uh, Jordan Sibachu from Young Boys. He's on loan there um, at the minute and a couple of days ago declared that he wanted to represent the US national team. Uh, he's loaned in from France, but he um, was born, I believe, in the States. Wanted to see a little bit more of him. He started on the bench. Um, it was Jean-Pierre Nsame and Meshak Alia who started up front for Young Boys. And But yes, yeah, Sibachi, when he came on, I think it was the 83rd, 84th minute, the game was done and dusted uh, at 2-0 at that point. And it started off with um, Ajax's first goal. So the first goal from Ajax was just, it came at a time you'd expect. David Neres, great passing. Um, and also Gravenberch as well. Wrench uh, doing really, 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 really well as well. <clears throat> And yeah, but the uh, the Klaassen goal, the the possession and the possession that they maintained leading up to that goal was absolutely incredible. And uh, um, Gravenberch, Tadic, just the links that they have in midfield and on the wings, absolutely superb. Klaassen came in with the goal. Um, we then had a goal from Dusan Tadic and Brian Broby, 
as well came on. He just looks so strong, especially for somebody at the age of 19 and so intelligent as well um, on the ball. He came in uh, in, in the latter stages of the game uh, and sealed sealed the points. Not that he needed to, but made it 3-0. And yeah, how do you guys feel about him moving to Leipzig? Because that was confirmed as well. I saw Fabrizio Romano uh, tweeting that and a few a few other big sources, including Nenad retweeting. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, good move. Yeah, I think um, it's a good move. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. It's interesting, I think, um, because uh, I'm not quite sure if he's first choice for Ajax yet, and I think he'll have quite some competition at Leipzig as well because they have Bolson, they have Wang, they have um, Solot, uh, who's recently come in, and then he, he'll, have, he'll have quite some competition for sure. Um, but yeah, again, you know, uh, we've, we've spoken about this before. Uh, the Bundesliga is a great uh, league for any player to come into and develop. And especially in a structure which is so conducive to player development as mm-hmm. it is at Leipzig. I think I think it should be an interesting move for him. And yeah, let's let's see how that goes. I think uh, it'll I, be... I, sorry, Karen. I, I just think they're, they're future-proofing that they're doing at the moment is... Is terrific. Like they're yeah. obviously well documented that they're losing Upper Makano. It sounds bizarre to say that they're future proofing when they're, you know, Upper Makano's <laughs> like, was he 21, 22? And he's moving on. But um, yeah. yeah, and they're, yeah. you know, they're, they've, they've got uh, Josko Gavardiol to come back from his loan at um, Dinamo Zagreb. And then uh, I don't know if it's been confirmed yet, but Mohamed Simakan is. Mm. Like heavily rumored to the point where it's, it's basically yeah. confirmed. It's, um, it's been confirmed by a lot of people in France, but I'm not quite sure. Yeah, um, and, but it'd be another interesting addition to the French army as it is at Leipzig. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. and him and, and then Brian Broby as well. And I don't think I think Ajax fans will be um, will be obviously be disappointed to see him go at such a young age, particularly when he you know he he hasn't. They, they will probably feel a bit short-changed they haven't seen much more of him because he's even so young. And particularly when, obviously, I know Lassina Traore had that wild scoring start to the season. But from what I've read and heard from Ajax fans, I think Broby is the more pop, more popular and more the one they believe has the higher potential. Yeah, I've heard that Traore is not very popular amongst Ajax fans. That's just I can't remember where I've heard it. So yeah, I'm not I, sure. If that's not the opinion of all Ajax fans, but that's what I've heard is like the general kind of the general picture. I, th- I think there's questions about his mobility. I think for for such a young guy, he's like he's so he's so big, and he he's not um, he just doesn't possess the assets that you would imagine a 19 an 18 19 year old striker with his goal scoring record to have. Um, and and you have to remember that his goal scoring record is inflated heavily by that game against. Um, <laughs> VVV Venlo, where he got, I think it was oh uh, yeah. uh, eight goal involvements, I want to say. Mm. Five goals and three assists, I think. Um, yeah. Was it 100 goals for Ajax on the night? <laughs> I can't quite remember. That is wild. It's incredible. But um, yeah. yeah. That is wild. But that makes Brian Broby's record um, in the Europa League not seem great. But it is great because Brian Broby's come on as a substitute in the last three Europa League games. And got three goal involvements. I believe that's two goals, oh. one assist um, across the last three games, including the one last night. But yeah, I think Ajax and Ajax and Leipzig and all the other Red Bull clubs as well. Um, obviously, Ajax not being one of those, but they're all those clubs that have that kind of conveyor belt of young talent. And Brian Broby going to Leipzig, you just trust Ajax will be able to instantly replace that output with somebody else, whether that is Traoré. 
Bray or Sebastian Aller, who obviously was ineligible for for this game, or just somebody else from from mm. Young Ajax, like someone from Young Ajax as well, could easily step up. Um, and I think it will do Brian Broby the world of good because he won't be necessarily the main man at Leipzig. He because they have so many players who are capable of scoring goals. Obviously, we've seen like Angelino scoring a load of goals, Sabitzer, um, Yusuf Poulsen. So, you know, he's going to be just a cog in that Leipzig system and he's not going to be the main man. Um, but yeah, the other game I had a little look at. Oh, quick, quick uh, shout out. Actually, as well to... Could Sorry, I Karen. ask you uh, about David Neres? How was, how was he? Because uh, I think he's, he's, he's a very interesting player. He's kind of the last one mm. of that great Ajax side, like the last exciting player of that great Ajax side that made it to the semifinals of the Champions League. Yeah. And obviously he struggled with injuries, but I feel like he's kind of getting back to his best. And I think uh, I was looking at it yesterday, and uh, he's had he started more games in uh, European competitions this season than he has in the league. He's only made five starts in the league, but he started every Europa League game, and I think he started four Champions League group stage games as well. So it's interesting that he started more games in Europe than he has in the Eredivisie. I was kind yeah. of curious how he did. Yeah, well, I think he played He played a very good part. He came off uh, in the second half, but during the time that he played, he played a, a very strong part of that kind of Ajax attack in terms of linking up with Gravenberch, Tadic, Klaassen, uh, Yuri and Timber, who was often coming out onto that uh, right-hand side from centre-back, which was interesting. And his passing just looked really, really solid. His his alertness, I'm not sure. Like there, there were a few long balls that were um, put over to him, and he would just couldn't get to them in time. I don't know whether it was one of those where it was hard to tell whether the long ball was slightly off and it was too uh, too much of a stretch for him, or whether he wasn't quite alert enough. So it's hard to tell there. But but overall, I think Neres um, he stood out as as one of the one of the players. I mean, so many. Ajax players do stand out in most of the games that they play. But for me, he was, you know, uh, he, he was a very important part of that fluid Ajax attack in that game. So it's it's highly possible that he can go on and take a take a move to the next level. Obviously, we've seen guys from that that kind of era like Clivert go on and um, have a little bit of a stuttering career. But, you know, it, even you could you could say Hakim Ziyech as well. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what the future holds for because I think he's in that he's in that bracket where he f- you feel like he should have moved by now, and I'm not sure whether that means he won't or whether that means that somebody will come in and get him for a cut price because the hype's died down. But yeah, I think he's still a, a very valuable player for Ajax, and um, he's a player that they'll probably want to try and keep hold of. But as I've said again, if if he does go, they've got that conveyor belt of talent, and he probably will be relatively easily replaced. Um. I'll have a quick give a quick shout out to Fiverr, the the goalkeeper from Young Boys, who I mentioned before. He did concede three, but he made so many like great reflex saves, and he um, also wasn't. He, he's never been the first choice as well, um, because it was David von Balmus who is normally the first choice Young Boys keeper. But he, um, I think he he basically never misses a game. But in their their last league game, he picked up an injury and had to be subbed off. So Fiverr are getting a very rare outing for for young boys between the sticks. And, you know, as I said, did concede uh, three goals, but a very valiant effort from him in the first half. I did also have a little look at the Roma-Shakhtar-Donetsk game. And 
it was it was kind of quite a it, it, this this was a slightly different one because for me the Ajax young boys one was very Ajax dominant from the second half basically whereas this game seemed like it was a lot more balanced from what I've seen I didn't watch this as closely as I watched the the Ajax young boys game but it was it was very interesting Shakhtar is always a team that is um, on my radar because of firstly the Brazilian talent that they always have at their disposal where they're the squad is basically Ukrainian and Brazilian players and not much else. And it's a really interesting setup that they've got there. So it was it was good to see players like Tete, uh, Tete kind of start. And also very interesting to see that they um, they started Trubin, who is their teenage goalkeeper, who's displaced their long-term keeper um, with some incredible performances. This one, not so incredible, of course, because he did concede three. But Roma did end up using their kind of direct style of play to, to brush aside this this uh, this Shakhtar team. And it was an interesting it, it was interesting to see because you would have expected to to see Edin Dzeko or Borja Mayoral starting in this game, but they actually started Henrik Mikatarian as almost like a false nine. And it was interesting to see the kind of the, the way that they actually used him as a as a as a force man in this game. And yeah, Borchemiral's had some great performances and he scored some goals for them in the Europa League so far. But it worked for them. And we saw El Sharawi as well uh, score a goal, which was which is always exciting to see. And he's one of those players that I you know, you know you never kind of know quite know what level he is. Stefan Al Sharawi, and he's kind of been just about for such a long time. His name is kind of like so well known, but you never know if he's like a top player or not, or or whether he's going to be a, a regular at any any of the clubs that he plays for. But um, in the first half, similarly to the Ajax Young Boys game, both teams looking to score, both teams looking for a quick start and uh, to get a goal on the score sheet, and it was just Roma who managed to get there. And um, yeah, it was it was an exciting game in the end. I'm 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 interested to uh to hear what you thought about uh about Lorenzo Pellegrini's performance because mm. uh I'm uh I really enjoy watching him play and yeah um, I think is there is a level that he is deserving of playing of above above Roma uh, mm. particularly particularly with their inability to completely rejuvenate that squad I feel like he's one of the ones who is trying to drag them forward. Uh, you know, Mkhitaryan's been very successful this season and Dzeko over a long time has been very successful. But I feel like he should be benefiting from a team of similarly aged talent around him. I think so, yeah, definitely. He's If if ever I come across a Roma game, Pellegrini is is always like the player to watch or or at least one of the players to watch. And it shows he's, he's incredibly effective in terms of the chances that he creates and just kind of in that final third, but also in the, in the middle of the park as well, just like such a, such an effective player. And he needed to be effective because Roma only had 37.7% possession in that game. So they, they were playing on the counter quite often. They were, they were trying to pass it out, but Shakhtar's, sort of passing they they were kind of trying to work out work out a slow way of kind of passing uh through and play that possession style but you know um they managed to total of 10 shots in that game Roma with only 37 percent um possession and they also maintained 80 percent pass accuracy in that game which was still only second best Shakhtar actually got 87 percent pass accuracy but 
Roma, it just shows how effective that they can be on the um, on the counter and how clinical players like Pellegrini are. Um, and also Mancini uh, scored a goal in the game as well. And as I said, El Sharawi. So it was, you know, they, they were both kind of coming, well, um, Roma rather were coming in, in, in decent form, having won their last two matches in Serie A. They, they beat Genoa and they beat Fiorentina before that. And uh, Shakhtar had come off the back of a 1-0 win over uh, Olympic Donetsk as well. So, you know, they're, they're both teams that are in, in relatively decent form um, on the domestic front. And this was kind of what I expected. Like with the Shakhtar team, I think with the Brazilian players that they have and that kind of flair, guys like Tyson uh, and, as I said, Tete as well on the wing, Dodo at right back. They have they have that added kind of South American flair, and that's the whole reason that they have that relationship with with Brazilian youngsters. And um, you know that showed in the way that they can pass. It was just that they weren't able to really get through and make actually make an impact. And Roma just have that star quality in terms of guys mainly like Pellegrini. Um, it's got to be said, Pellegrini is probably the standout player in that team. And it was interesting as well. And the guy that they left out was Chris Smalling because I believe Chris Smalling came back from injury um, but they, they kept Marash Kumbula who's a very exciting young centre-back kept him in the back three and he, he looked really good as well so yeah um, I was going to ask you about that because he's kind of struggled this season at times so yeah um, it was uh, it's kind of interesting that they kept him in uh, that they put him in there for supposedly a big game um, he's uh He's someone who's is still adjusting to the Roma system. Obviously, they bought him in for big money, but yeah, it, it's good to hear that he, he he did do well when when called upon because I think yeah. he is such a tremendous talent. Uh, when I watched him for Hellas Verona last season, he was he was very good and he's one of those centre backs that I think a lot of clubs are in for, even Manchester United, if I remember correctly. So, um, yeah, I, mm. I, I'm glad that he's kind of adjusting to Roma because I feel like he's just a big talent. Yeah, I think so. I think the only way is up for for a player like that. I think even the, the fact that he's been given that vote of confidence by Fonseca over someone like Chris Smalling, who's sort of rejuvenated himself and, um, you know, been able to kind of get the attention back onto him. I think putting a player like Kambula in there, it's only going to boost his confidence, especially the fact that they managed to come away with a clean sheet and managed to come away with a convincing victory. Uh, I think we can move on to Tom. I know one of the games that you watched isn't going to go down as as a memorable one. I don't <laughs> think. Uh, I don't think you're a big fan, but you want to talk a little bit about I'll those. Get, I'll, about get that one. I'll get that one out of the way first. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, so it is the Dinamo Kiev versus Villarreal game, and uh, actually there were, there were fans in the stadium, which I didn't realise going into the game that was going to be the going to be the case. That was the, that that in itself made it was probably the most memorable thing about it. It was quite refreshing to see mm. what football's actually about again, rather than seeing uh, <clears throat> banners covering seats. Um, but yeah, the game finished 2-0 to Villarreal. Um, goals from Paul Torres and Raul Albiol, who I can't believe are still playing. That's, I, I, can't, I can't quite believe that, he, uh, that he's still knocking about. But um, yeah, the fact that both those you know, both those goals came from the centre-backs kind of tell you what sort of game it was. Um, but uh, yeah, both from set pieces, Danny Parejo doing what Danny Parejo does, you know, kind of not moving a whole lot in central midfield, but incredibly good at dictating the, the pace of the game. And his set-piece delivery was 
was fantastic time and time again. Um, so he he really stood out. And then equally, uh, Gerard Moreno, who is a player that I don't think anyone will truly ever understand. Like he's he's built like a centre forward. He looks like a centre forward. And yet you look at the team sheet and he's starting left wing. But to anyone who hasn't seen him, he's not he's not a left winger. There's no way that man's a left winger. Like he kind of he he's 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 involved in sort of the link up play, but in very small amounts. Like it's a lot of one touch passing and um he kind of ghosts around the forward line. He doesn't he does definitely doesn't stay sort of to that nominal left hand side. And uh, he was integral to both the goals of for the first goal. He kind of I can't remember who it was now, but there was a, a sort of a they were attacking the the Dynamo Kiev box, and the ball seemed to sort of uh, sort of slip away, and it was about to run out of play. And Moreno sort of he's incredibly instinctive and hooks it back across the face of goal. It looked like it was gone. It looked like it had gone out of play. Moreno hooks it back across goal for uh, for Paul Torres to score, and then for the second goal, uh, Parejo corner headed uh, hits the head of Moreno. Uh, that is kept up by the Kiev goalkeeper only for Raul Albiol to kind of stab home. So he, he is integral to everything they do. Um, and he's a, he's a very, he's just a very strange player to watch. Like he's not, he's, he's not a very fashionable player. Like he's, he's 28 now. He will probably remain at Villarreal for, probably, he seems like a sort of player who will just stay there now because I don't think a team is going to, they're not going to take a punt on a player who is, he, he seems quite bound. Not he's not bound by system, but because he's it's not obvious what he is. I don't think a team's going to take a plump on him as a as a centre forward. They certainly won't as a left winger. And he's like I say, he's twenty eight. Um, but he's just a very interesting, a very clever player who takes a really interesting positions. And uh, yeah, I think really he kind of proved him and Parejo's kind of set piece ability was the only difference between. The two sides. Kiev didn't really create much. Villarreal didn't create much. I was quite disappointed by Samuel Chiquese. He was really quiet. Mm. Um, but uh, that's kind of that's kind of his. You know, he's quite a patchy kind of player. Like he's quite an erratic and sporadically formed player. Um, and that is probably all I have to say about that game. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you guys don't have any questions. But yeah, um, all I, I have to have say, one, all, all, um, all I have to say is. Yeah. Uh, I watched Villarreal in the last round against Salzburg, both games, and I think they're just a typical Unai Emery Europa League side. They're very well organised and they get the job done. That's that that's been the theme of their performances, and I I'd imagine it was the same in that game. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that no team's going to be that afraid of coming up against them. There's just there's just not enough quality for us. I, I was I was looking forward to watching Paul Torres, particularly because the, the noise that's made around him. Um but in truth I I couldn't really comment because he didn't really have much to do. And the only contribution he really had to make was in the other box. Um yeah. I was gonna ask as well about um Victor Shahankov. I don't know because obviously you said about there wasn't much created by Kiev. Obviously he's someone who's like massively kind of regarded as one of those players who might make it in, in one of Europe's top five leagues. Did, how, did he get up to much in that game? Uh, in truth, no. No. I don't know. <laughs> he, he, he really didn't. They had, Kiev had one, one kind of, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say it was a guilt-edged opportunity. They had a, a, a chance in and around the six-yard box in the first half that was kind of a flicked header that kind of flew way over the, the Villarreal goal. Um, but 
No, no, it, it was it was a very um, I mean, for a team at home, you might have expected more, but then again, it's against like you said, Ben, it's against the Nunai Emery, mm. you know, a, a cup team who can do that. They can they can stodge out they can stodge out games and rely on on individual moments to to come away with a result. Um, and I'd fully expect them to progress now, particularly because they're playing at home in the next game. Whether they go any further than that, I don't. I don't think any team would be, you know, the likes of should they get through, you know, United or Milan or Arsenal. Well, I think there would be a kind of a cruel irony for Arsenal to come up against Unai. Um, but or, you know, Spurs or Ajax, I don't think any of them will be particularly. The, the only way, the only way I could see them, the only threat they would really pose them as, I think, is a physical one because they are quite a. They're quite a big team, but um, yeah, I, I would expect them to go through, but not anywhere beyond the next round, in truth. Yeah, that, that does sound quite as, it sounds as boring as you uh, originally said it was, to be honest, but... Thank you, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, like, yeah, no, to be fair, that sounds like, I can kind of, yeah, I didn't even see the highlights of that game, but it, I, I don't know if I want to, to be honest. <laughs> I think that's that seems to have summed it up, and that's... You know, Villarreal, I don't think Villarreal have got a win in La Liga for about a month or so, at least. I know they lost against Valencia, who are obviously in a heap of trouble at the minute. But um, was the other game that you watched a little bit more exciting then? Yes, it was. It was the uh, the final game of the round, which was Spurs against Dinamo Zagreb. And uh, yeah, Spurs are riding a kind of a wave of form that excitement wise probably even eclipses the form that saw them go to the top of the table earlier in the season a lot shorter of course but the actual the entertainment and the uh the kind of the atmosphere around these past few games has been so much improved from that dour uh post christmas spectacle um spurs had quite an interesting lineup um they uh Davison Sanchez and Eric Dyer started centre back and I think I think Davison Sanchez is a, a player who needs to be persisted with. Like there there is an Eric Bailly quality to him where he does mix the terrific with the with the sometimes inexplicable, but he's he's still a very young player with a lot of experience. And uh in truth he didn't really have a lot to do during this game, neither of them did. Um Aurier and Davis were the full backs and yeah, the kind of typical Mourinho fullbacks. Aurier bombed on to basically form a front five. Um, Davis tucked in as a left centre back. Kind of standard, standard procedure there. Um, and then uh, Sissoko and Dombele with Lamella, Deli Ali, Son, and Kane ahead of them. And early on, it kind of it kind of set the tones it meant to go on. Spurs attacked incredibly wide with uh, with Aurier in particular. Just just punishing crosses into the Zagreb box. Um, and the reason that they weren't always successful, the reason that this kept happening was just because Zagreb were intent on sitting deep. Fair enough. You know, that's against the likes of, against Son, Kane, Deli Alli. You don't want to leave that room in behind for one of them to be picked out. Um, but they... There was no there was, there was no press on whoever was playing the ball. Like, they, they sat deep and then just kind of let... Kane have free will to do what he does and dictate dictate play and play balls in behind. Um, and it just meant they had loads of time on the ball. So Ore could make that run, you know, past the fullback. Kane scored 
his 25th of the season to, make, to put them 1-0 up, 7th in the Europa League. Um, and it was kind of all about, it was all about Dele Alli. He has been much maligned this season, not so much through his own performances, but through what we're seeing through Mourinho's prism. You know, we're, in the fact he's been dropped so um, ruthlessly, it's kind of led to believe that think that he's a bad player and he's definitely not. And in this game, Spurs looks so much better for having him in it because he he links play. He, do, he does two things. He he, do, he does the classic Deli Alley thing of running in behind, which just gives Kane another pass another pass option uh, other than Son, which is where they came. Spurs came so stuck over Christmas was that if there wasn't that channel from Kane to Son, then there wasn't anything. Um, and then he also, he rotates with Son brilliantly, Dele Alli. So when, so when Kane pulls deep, it allows that Son can run, can run in behind and Dele Alli moves wide. Equally, Kane can stay, <laughs> Kane can stay on the last man. And then you've got this kind of interchanging fluid three of, of Lamella, Alli and Son, which for a team like Zagreb, who are just sitting deep, they're not engaging the ball. It's like a kind of it's a it's a frenzy for them to for them to deal with, and uh, yeah, it was pretty straightforward finish for Kane, um, and then from there on, just Zagreb didn't really pose much didn't pose much trouble. Um, the a very interesting battle was in the was in central midfield, where Sissoko, the 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 customary two of Hoiberg and Ndombele wasn't necessary i think because zagreb just weren't going to pose the same threat that spurs have been coming up against in the premier league so soakin and dombele was incredibly athletic too and the number of times that dombele was just way too fast for for the uh for the zagreb for his opposite numbers i can't i i didn't make a note but how many times he was fouled from just receiving the ball from sanchez and dyer and doing that and you know dropping his shoulder and skipping away like as no one else can do um, and he was just—he was just—he um, was just hauled down time and time again, um, and yeah, just the complete—he completely dominated that space, and yeah, went in at half time one nil, and uh, yeah, much the same second half. Um, they, the commentators—I can't remember who was on co-commentary, but they kept saying about how disciplined Zagreb were and applauded them for it. And I couldn't help but feel that yes, it was disciplined, but there, there needed to be far more engagement with the ball because again, it's like they didn't learn. And this time, it was in the second half. It wasn't so much Kane picking the passes and Ndombele, who was kind of leaving leaving Sissoko as the single pivot, and it kind of became a sort of almost like a four-one-five of just <laughs> runners and movement. And um, yeah, Zagreb couldn't couldn't deal with it. Yeah, very comfortable, very comfortable win. Spurs look, Spurs look very destabilized when when Ali came off as well. Like and they scored the they scored the second goal after he came off for uh, who came on Bergwijn and Bale. I want to say came on for it, came came on as part of that substitution. Um, and they did score and Bale looked fantastic again. But yeah, really good to see Deli Ali kind of back doing what he does well. I I have a question. What yeah. happens? In fairly unlikely scenario, if Arsenal and Tottenham win the Europa League and Liverpool win the Champions League, who qualifies for the Champions League next season? Wow. Will it be six English teams? 
I, mean, I hadn't even thought of that. That would be an incredible yeah. proposition, yeah. That would be incredible. I mean, based off based off last and last performance and current form, I think Spurs are very likely I will be right up there as the favourites to win this competition. Like they, they they have they got great strength and depth, no. But having an informed Gareth Bale playing as he is 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 a uh, is something that I don't think any other team in the Europa League have to call upon off the bench. Like his his form, the, that quality of player is incredible. I thought Lamella was very good last night as well. Like doing his bizarre headless chicken act, where he, he just charges round and flies into tackles with very little quality. But <laughs> you know, he was he was he was tigerish and winning the ball. When when Zagreb did pinch the ball back, his role as kind of the lead presser was really. Um, Crucial to Spurs kind of getting back on the ball, um, but yeah, it's looking good. It's looking good for yeah, Spurs. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I think those three English teams don't really have a lot left to play in the league. I mean, with Tottenham, mm. at least you have the cup final to look forward to. So yeah. I think they're going to look at this European tournament and they're going to go all out for those tournaments. And you kind of already saw it with Liverpool in particular. Like Klopp made seven changes before the Champions League game against Leipzig and I think uh, yeah it's going to be interesting to see how I see I think Mourinho is going to take this competition very seriously because mm. you're, you're more like you're, you're through to the next round and yeah I'm, I'm, it'll be good to get maybe an Ajax uh, Tottenham uh, game again That'd be exciting. Yeah, I'd lo- yeah I'd love that would to see be that. exciting. Uh, I think there's, I think there's lots of potential matchups that'd be very yeah. exciting. Like a Spurs Arsenal final would mm. obviously be, would obviously like. And, oh, and that recent, would be great. In recent years, Spurs Arsenal games have been, yeah, fantastic spectacles. They've been like really entertaining. And, and the thing is, as well with Tottenham, Mourinho is the master of European competitions. Yeah, he hasn't, definitely. he hasn't delivered it in a long time, but. He does know how to play knockout tournaments. Definitely. And he does know how to win as well. And yeah. I think when he came to Tottenham, that was the big thing that um, you guys need to win a trophy. And he's mm-hmm. got you to a cup final. You know, that, that would be against City. Still possible to yeah. win. And on top of that, uh, this, it, this, this would, would this be Tottenham's greatest ever sort of like trophy if they win the Europa League? I mean, of the mo- of the modern era, probably. Yeah. Modern era, yeah. Probably. I, th- I think you're. I think you're looking back to the, maybe the, oh God, maybe the eighty, the nineteen eighty FA Cup. I want to say was that. I want to say that's the right mm. year. The Ricky v- mm. the Ricky Villa. Possibly. Yeah. I want to say they won that. Um, yeah, it might be. And, then, and you're certainly looking back to the sixties for the. Mm. Um, certainly for in Europe, you have to say. Oh yeah, this, this yeah, would be their greatest achievement because I know you guys made it to the final of the Champions League, but winning was... winning a trophy is is the best. And and that was a team that was not equipped to win to even get that far. Mm. That was a miracle. Like they they got yeah. through that whole tournament with without Kane, uh, with two two midfielders. They had Winks and they had Sissoko, and that was it. Mm. Um, throughout the whole tournament, throughout the whole of the knockouts, they were not equipped to win that tournament and. Whereas this one, I feel like, I just that spark that's lit under Gareth Bale at the moment is only going to is only going to be incredibly beneficial. Yeah, I think that's the thing is that that is in full flow. Like even if it comes off the bench, you kind of just bet on him to score. 
Definitely. And, yeah. and, and in Europe as well, it's it's kind of his specialty as well. At least mm. we talk about Mourinho, but Bale, how many Champions League finals has he scored in over the years for Real Madrid? So it is yeah. his specialty as well. It's something he thrives in in Europe. So I think Tottenham definitely have that winning mentality and I could actually I think they are one of the favourites yeah, and I think so, I think as well there's players to come back as well like I mean Deli Ali is like having a new player like watching him last night it was almost like watching a new signing play because I haven't seen him play like that in so long um, and then you've also got you know you got Bergwijn coming off the bench Lucas coming off the bench okay maybe not so much but um, you've got Giovanni Lo Celso to come back who's like apparently very like he's he was back in full training uh, and then he had a slight niggle that kept him out last night. But I think he was, I think Mourinho was keen to bed him back in last night. It was only because of this little niggle that he didn't. Um, that's a huge boost. Like, like these are, these yeah. are serious options. Carlos Vinicius's record in the competition so far has been brilliant. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, um, the, the uh, only problem is, is the same, and that's a, a fallback. And I think as well, in the last few years, when Sevilla haven't been in the competition it's usually been an English team who won the yeah. tournament when you look back on it so yeah, there's definitely. good omens when it comes to that as well yeah, and, and honestly I mean I think it only helps Mourinho that he would go full in to try to win the Europa League this season because Spurs have an informed Gareth Bale they have Adele Ali who's looking confident again they have Son they have Kane they have options and honestly it'll, it's only beneficial for Mourinho himself personally uh, at the end of the day, to help Spurs win a trophy and you know restore some of uh, uh, some of his you know pride, I would say, uh, some of his reputation, as it were. And yeah, it should be interesting to see if they do reach the final. Definitely. I mean, I mean, for him to be the man that brought Spurs the mm. European trophy, I think will only. Um, well, I'm sure he'll make some sort of claim that will be his greatest ever achievement. I'm sure. But uh, you'd only yeah. have to imagine the sort of ego boost you'd get. Definitely, yeah. Absolutely, and I think it will. Yeah, make it'll make fans, Spurs fans, think again about whether they want to see a life without him. Um, because you know this is what he was brought in to do. It's what Pochettino couldn't do. Um, but yeah, they certainly won't be. Um, they won't be afraid of any of of any tie between now and the final. No, but I definitely think uh, Tottenham Arsenal Europa League final is something to would be something to savor, and I don't know, like that that'll be very exciting. That'll probably be one of the most exciting Europa League matchup, probably the most exciting Europa League matchup since the Europa League started. I would have said, like, certainly be up there just because yeah. of the yeah. drama as well, because yeah, both yeah. teams are not yeah. doing that well in the league, and. Hopefully there'll be fans in there. I think there's an outside chance that the finals could have some fans. Yeah, it'll, it'll have to go some way to beat in last year's final, a severe Inter Milan final. But yeah, true, true, right. yeah, exciting stuff. Definitely. Uh, do any of you guys have anything else you want to touch on before we? I think we're probably coming towards an end, but I don't know. Do you guys any have anything else just to touch on before we start to close the episode? No, I don't think so. I think I think I've uh, I've exhausted myself. <laughs> yeah. Anything anybody wants to plug that's uh, coming up on the website as well? Uh, well, I talked about David Zima, and I think um, he's definitely one to watch. And I'm going to be doing an analysis on him and a few other sort of Eastern European players to look out for. Uh, 
names who hopefully our listeners haven't heard that much about or want to find out more about and that's going to be coming soon uh, and then I think uh, Tom's got an interesting piece on Arsenal as well that, that we're talk, kind yeah, of talking about Arsenal uh, so he's got a fantastic sort of exclusive uh, dropping on Arsenal in the next few probably it might be out already by the time this podcast goes out depends how quick we can uh, yeah <laughs> but, uh, yeah no, and, and Ninad had a fantastic uh, Rafael Leal interview yeah, came out uh yeah. recording on a friday came out this morning and uh yeah terrific read for anyone who wants to know more about uh about rafael Leal. yeah exciting play obviously uh relevant to the europa league theme as well i've got a few things that i'm working on but i don't know whether to, to talk about them yet because it's, it's kind of still in the uh, the early stages yeah, and we just, got, we got, let's just say we've got of... a few sort of 2003 born players that we're kind of feeling mm-hmm. optimistic about that we can do inside stories and let's just leave it at that kind of yeah leave it as a i mystery. think that's i think that's safe yeah nothing set in stone just yet <laughs> <laughs> yeah no but um no it's great to talk about the europa league um and yeah thank you for listening to the episode everybody thank you guys yeah thank, thank you, you. Thanks for listening. cheers